remain risen and receive these words of scripture from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 2, beginning with the first verse. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came in Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When, when, the, when they had heard the king, they set out, and, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. So I don't know if you knew the planets were out this week. We caught it last minute, but it was good to have a chance to uh, never actually see anything with the binoculars because you can't hold them still, you know? But it was good to get out and to think and to wonder about this big, expansive universe that we have. Frank White, who is a space philosopher, which may be one of the best job titles out there, I suppose, gave rise to a term back in the 80s, that is, the 1980s. I want to be clear what we're talking about. The 1980s. That had a recent resurgence, actually, after some high-profile commercial space flights. Now, this term is called the overview effect. Have you run across this at all? Okay. So the overview effect. And... Frank White wrote a book about this uh, by the same name called The Overview Effect. This was in 1987. He had interviewed 40 uh, astronauts, some active, most retired, to talk about their experience in space. And the short explanation of the overview effect is offered in this way. The overview effect is a cognitive and emotional shift in a person's awareness and their identity when they see Earth from space. 
And while each person's uh, recounted experience was unique, White described a few commonalities where there were that the astronauts recounted to him. A lot of them said that their awareness of climate change and global warming uh, became stronger, and the interconnectedness of all humanity. They kind of watched Earth dangling out there in a very cold void. And many astronauts returned to Earth with a greater distaste for war and violence, and a desire to do something to improve life, having learned the truth of all our situation. Now, I'm not going to posit anything more than coincidence that our Epiphany story has these star-gazing. Wise ones, these three kings, or the magi, they are the major players in our narrative today. And it seems maybe it's just possible that that line of work for thousands of years, gazing upward and traveling, has for millennia opened people to wonder and to have an experience that shifts their emotion and their thinking and their identity. The narrative function of our story is not all that wondrous, if I'm honest. I think it's just to show the Magi come, and they are showing out of the east they come, and what they represent is that Jesus comes not just for the house of Israel, but to all the nations. And it foreshadows, in a way, the final verses of the Gospel of Matthew, with the Great Commission: "Go therefore to all the nations, and tell of this wonderful thing." But I have found myself wondering about the effect on the Magi themselves, as they encounter the Word incarnate in the baby Jesus for the first time. A shift must take place for them on their journey, that takes them from observing the star and exploring a birth that has been foretold about a king, and it shifts them from directly or tacitly. Participating with a harmful leader in Herod, to receiving what was revealed to them in the Christ Child, subverting plans for harm, and I have to think they must have told somebody what they saw, just not Herod. Perhaps they would describe something similar to that overview effect. Maybe coming to believe that God's own self has been placed into the world out of love for the world and all His people. That's not really a small thing to come to pass, and while not as expensive as a space flight, their trip does appear to have had some effect on them. And maybe to, it feels to me that over and over that experience of the holy doesn't lead us to further contract or close ourselves off, but grants that sense of connection, and shifts in our thinking, and some desire to work for good, given the truth. Of our situation, epiphany moments are part of our faith journey, and I suspect that many have a reason to be here today. There has been some moment, something in the story became real for you at some point, even if just once, even if only for a fleeting second. Some experience worked within or around you. And has shifted the ways that we feel or 
identify on the outside. Those experiences can propel us forward in life, and they can sustain us for difficult and unclear times, long stretches where maybe we believe nothing at all of the story. Maybe we feel nothing for long stretches, but still we can look back at our moments, and even with all of the things that are swirling within and around us, recall and believe again that I'm loved, that we are connected. Recall and believe that God cares about those swirling and broken places, and still believe that I've got some kind of call to participate in God's good work in the world. We need to tend to those stories and those moments because they are life-changing for us and very often for others. And I've been very privileged to receive stories from members here at Foundry as they talked about their own journey and their own moments. The ones that frequently resonate with me are those about how God reaches into even those spaces where we feel we've been isolated or forgotten. One person had shared with me that at their lowest point, or some of their lowest points, struggling through addiction, they had actually taken tinfoil, they had put it all over every window where they were living so that they could just be alone and walled off from everything, including just the light trying to get in. And despite all of that effort, despite their overwhelming circumstance, they became aware one day that light was actually still getting in. Little points of light had made their way through that foil, little pinpricks shining into their isolation and offering to them what they felt was a sense that they were not completely abandoned. We say that when we don't feel the grace around us or before we become aware, we call it prevenient grace. And those little points of light, along with a lot of hard work, led him to a space of sobriety that he couldn't have imagined. He worked a change within him that took him from, at times, sleeping on the steps of Foundry to becoming an integral part of this community and a leader in service and compassion for others. And he had hope from his epiphany moment, from an overview effect that could help release him and enfold him into community. And that type of story feels very familiar to me. And it's amazing the many ways that our awareness of God's presence can work into or back into our lives, providing for us these moments of our connection. And I love that it's somewhat commonplace for us to have these personal encounters. They're not uniform by any means, nor are they required, but they're important to our journey. And much like our own personal stories, I've been thinking a lot about the many other first encounters with the Jesus story that are not captured in the Scripture. As we uh, entered into this hotel space where we were staying back in July, we were giving one main instruction. Do not be embarrassing, our leader told us. I said, okay. Well, in that context, it meant uh, don't wear shorts. It's like, yeah, okay, all right, relax. 
But I don't think that it meant that everything else was fair game for this group of pastors that had found themselves as an open bar garden party overlooking Lake Geneva. But that was all the instruction that we received. So anyway, we ended up with a group of young adults who'd spent uh, some weeks together in interfaith dialogues, and we just kind of arrived at the last couple of days of their journey. And an invitation was extended to us to come and join the graduation party. Badly underdressed and in need of freshening up after a very extended heat wave, not egregiously embarrassing, but maybe not our best presentation, we found ourselves at a much fancier-than-advertised outdoor banquet. And I came to find myself sitting across from a young woman who'd participated in the program, and she had earlier noted in her introduction to the whole group that she was a Christian from Bethlehem. And so I was beyond intrigued by this, and I was very curious to hear what on earth, what is, what is it like to be a Christian in Bethlehem right now? And I was expecting some kind of answer that was a combination of relaying how annoying tourists are, or how ignored the local church communities felt, or how mercifully ignored the local church communities were, or how commercialized the setting had been become trying to cater to all these pilgrims from all over the world. And there was only just the slightest hint of some of that when she reminded us, she asked us to remember that, yes, the churches are there, also living through all of the conflicts and everything else that takes place in the region. But I was left to wonder now for months at the way she introduced herself and the community within the Christian context. She said, my great-great-grandmothers, great-great-great-great-grandmothers were Jesus' babysitter. What a marvelous and wonderful way, what an inroad into the Christian story, a piece that must have been tended to by her family for generations, and my grandmothers were Jesus' babysitters. That also answers the question, were the wise women there? And the answer is yes, they were from the beginning. But how tenderly they must have cared for the Christ child, how tenderly they must have cared for the word and their story for thousands of years now. It's not exactly the tinfoil pinpricks of light reaching into the depths of our own being, but it's not a absurd use of money, space flight story either. But it is one wondrous way to start a faith journey. We helped care for this from the beginning. June is going to mark 10 years, um, 10 years in ministry for me here at Foundry. Some of you are groaning. That's okay. No, I'm just it can be very challenging at times, especially a decade here at this place, but it can also be extremely rewarding. We do, as a congregation, a lot of work together, but I also do a lot of work on my own, on your behalf. I have help, thank God. But I also do a lot of that work with our unhoused neighbors, especially those ones who sleep on our steps. Now, because of that, I've gotten to see people literally move and actually help them go from the great where they slept one night and move them into their own apartment. That's fun. But I have also seen people die before they could get 
their housing. And I've seen some who passed just as they were getting themselves settled. And when your hard days can be downright traumatic, it can be difficult to say the least. And somebody recently asked me, how am I not completely losing it? How am I not losing heart in that type of work, in this type of setting? And quite frankly, I do. I absolutely do. There are days that I have. But I also lean on my epiphany moments, my own times where I felt that overview effect. And I have heard from others about their story as well. And I probably don't tend to my stories as lovingly as Jesus' babysitters. But they do make their rounds in my head and my heart. And so far, that and a good therapist, and a good therapist, Jesus and a good therapist, and a host of self-care has been enough to be able to remember the way that God loves and calls me. And that's enough for me to remain hopeful about what we can do and continue to do together. As we launch into this new year, I encourage us to tend our epiphany moments, those things that gave you some overview effect, those stories and practices that remind you of your connection to God and to one another, something that offers that sense of God's deep love for all of us, no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through, where we were born, no matter anything. And then I encourage us to take those stories and tend them as the families of Jesus' babysitters have for thousands of years. Allow those stories to give strength and purpose to you and to one another because those stories are ones of transformation. And they can be very likely transformational for others and the whole community around us. May we have a blessed year. And may we begin by attending to those places where God's grace comes to us every day.